so very high level something like you know i passionately believe um technological process or innovation does not happen on its own right like things just don't organize themselves to advance technology Um, it's actually you know i think the opposite right if you look at um you know the world we live in everything you know that that we interact with uh, you know and we've been talking about property management a lot i see so many things i know you know the entrepreneurs who've built these companies like i know they've like been beaten up for years you know they spent two or three years building something spend another two or three years trying to convince people to use it to maybe get it to work right and so but then you know everybody gets to benefit from that Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. Today, I am introducing somebody to the world of property management that nobody has ever heard of or met before. <laughs> Everybody, meet Thad Tarkington. Thad, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello. Well, uh, excited to be here. So quite, quite the introduction. Um, let's see. So my name is Thad Tarkington. I'm the co-founder and uh, CEO of Second Nature. And uh, so from Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, been in this industry now a decade, which is crazy to say. I was uh, we're actually here at the NARPM National Conference. That is crazy to say. If you notice the beautiful background here mm-hmm. uh, in the hotel setup, but uh, we're uh, no, I was talking with a bunch of folks about that. How uh, you know? Wh- what do you think this is going to look like in uh, 2034 or 2033? And we were uh, it was an interesting thought. So, uh, but yeah, been in the been in the industry uh, ten years. Uh, Second Nature provides call a resident experience platform for property managers. So we uh, organize a bunch of resident facing solutions into one platform and make it easy for property managers to offer unique resident experience, deploy services, things mm-hmm. like that. So mm-hmm. You're a veteran, been around the block. I'm obviously being sarcastic. You know, we've talked before. We've yeah. um, we've palled around and man, ten years, that's a long time. I've been doing lead simple for about 10 years and things are a lot different today than they were from day one, mostly in a good way. I feel like the industry has progressed tremendously. It's been a a lot of positive trends. I like seeing other vendors come in. I feel like as the ecosystem improves as a whole, as business practices get better, it's it's just like a net positive. As you reflect back, what in your mind's eye stands out as like what the feel or the vibe or the ethos is most different from day one for you? Yeah, I'd say one thing that I think has changed a lot is there does seem to be a level of um, kind of professionalization that's that's gone throughout the industry. Simple things I can think of is like, I look at stuff that's like, it almost seems obvious, like this should have always existed. Mm-hmm. And one of those is like accounting standards. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, um, and it's crazy to think like you look back, you know, um, 10 plus years ago, you know, something like that was really just starting to get shuffled out, you know, wasn't really standardized. And um, for an industry, you know, as big as rental housing, you mm-hmm. know, it's, and if you look at, you know, what a lot of people manage, um, you know, in this industry or in this uh, organization, uh, specifically here, um, single family rentals, kind of mom and pop, small multifamily kind of duplex, quadplex, that, that kind of property. 
you know, it's the largest number of units out there. Obviously, a lot of self-managing, so it's highly fragmented. Um, but it's, you know, it's interesting that you're seeing stuff like that, you know, j just come around in the last, you know, decade or so. And then, you know, you mentioned the vendor hall, you know, like thinking about walking through there. And again, there's so many things you look at and you're like, you know, they might have come on the scene in the last couple of years, you know, just getting started. And you're like, and it seems like it should have been here for 30 years. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think I think you're starting to see a lot of um, a lot of good solutions come to the space. And I think if you you know, also look at the institutional side of the industry, you know, you've seen obviously in 2000, you know, let's go back to years 13. They were still in that, you know, acquisition phase. Um, and, and obviously the, the price of the properties were attractive enough. People said, let's give this a try. You know, no, no one before thought you could manage, you know, units at scale um, to where you could deploy serious capital. And obviously at that point, this has been this or at this point, that's been proven. So I think, um, you know, I look back like, you know, kind of all those different forces. You have the kind of institutional mm -hmm. um, that's brought more interest, I think, brought more awareness to the space. And some of that's kind of, um, you know, flowed over to, you know, I think the kind of third party um management side but yeah i mean that that would be a collection of things what what uh what's your take on that mm, what's my take about what's different uh, yeah it's more professional i mean there's more money here yeah people see the opportunity and the money is pouring in and again i feel like it's a net positive yeah i have more money men contacting me and wanting to meet up for lunch and blah 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 yeah and that to me is a sign that capital sees value here and when yeah. capital is deployed things get more efficient more opportunities come yep. greater services better slas so all that stuff is a net positive, and honestly, I don't see too many downsides. I see yeah. the individual operators getting stronger, building more durable, yep. defensible businesses. And interestingly, I don't want to be too self-aggrandizing, but I do think that you and I both have contributed to that in part. The revenue conversation has been shifted in large part by awareness in the room of just thinking about revenue, not yeah. doors, but how can I make this a business that is going to provide me recurring revenue that I can keep? How is a, a robust enough revenue model that there's meat on the bone for operators to actually take home? That's, that's yeah. really the magic of small business. Um, you guys have backed into it from the resident benefits package. Yeah. I remember early on it was it was a it was a tenant benefits package and it was informal and it, it was just kind of scattershot. It's turned into something that's packaged as well understood. There's a million affordances to help you communicate that to your tenants and owners. That's made a huge difference. The work that we're able to do with an RFM accounting standards, the framing of the money conversation, the unit economics, that's elevated the IQ and that generated a lot of interest. And that wave has processed to the point now where it's it's there's not it's not novel. Not yeah. everybody is doing it, but there's not a whole lot that's novel about yeah. it. So now that we're at this point of that cycle and wave, I think like what's interesting to me and what I want to talk to you about is what comes next? One of the things that I hear whispers about is regulation. What's the yep. regulatory environment going to look like? The rental market is softening right now. Um, the economy is not in the best place. We're coming off of yeah. like, the hottest market of you know, within my lifetime that I can recall. Yeah. And so now... People are looking at some of these fees and wondering, is this sustainable? Obviously, there's a leaders in California and New York, like the outlier states that are kind of a bellwether yeah. of what could happen elsewhere. So I just want to get, let, let's start there, man. Let's yeah. just talk durability. Yeah. Which of these sources of revenue will we be able to keep, which might potentially be at risk? This 
this is a strong adjacency with what you guys are doing. How do you think about that? Walk me through your thoughts there. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'll take a step back and you know maybe start with you mentioned regulation and. I'll uh, I'll save the conversation of is regulation good or bad. Separate, uh, separate conversation. Yeah. yeah. So let's. But I will say it's highly probable, right? So mm. good or bad, who knows? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, there's a long debate there, and I think it varies. But is it, um, you know, is it probable? And I think the answer is yes. And um, you know, if you look, it's an industry where you know, I mean, people's housing. It's you know, you've got tens of millions of properties. You know, about a hundred million uh, uh, people in the U.S. live in rental housing. And so, you know, there's obviously already a lot of regulation. I think you'll continue to see more of it. And so um, I think the key thing that, you know, we look at when we look at the industry is there's there's really three points. It's, you know, how do you have one transparency and then how do you have accountability and how do you have choice? You know, so if you're thinking about um, offering something to a resident, how do you hit those three? Right. And so. Um, you know, ultimately, if you look at, you know, the White House has put some things out around regulation. You know, if I read through that, there's a lot of things where I'm like, okay, you know, they need to do a little more research. It's not perfectly dialed in, but there's some reasonable stuff in there, right? Like, you know, if you put yourself in the shoes of, you know, a renter or an investor, right, they're always going to have, you know, some different interests. But mm-hmm. ultimately, I think at the end of the day, if there's a clear definition of, you know, as the investor and owner of a property, this is your responsibility. As a renter, this is your responsibility. And that's clearly laid out. You know, ultimately, I see it as, you know, where, where property management can shine is, hey, we've come up with some really elegant solutions to solve these problems for both parties. Those are presented transparently to both parties on how they want to solve them. And so, you know, simple, simple examples there would be, you know, if I look at, you know, lawn service, I think it's just easy for, for anyone to understand listening is, you know, if, if you're renting a home, you have to mow the lawn. And for a lot of people that are moving from an apartment, you know, or some, you know, have never been responsible, they may not even be thinking about it, right? They move in day one, they're like, oh gosh, like grass is getting big, what do I do? You know, well, you gotta spend a couple hundred bucks on a lawnmower, you gotta do these different things, right? And, you know, it takes time and effort. Um, and there's a downside though, if someone doesn't mow the lawn, not only may there be HOA, HOA violations, you know, city violations, things like that. You know, if you don't take care of it at all, you know, you could see your, your lawn die and then that can easily be thousands or depending on the lawn, you know, 10,000 plus dollars to go in and get it back to shape. Also some stuff like that, you know, again, unless you go on the really expensive side, it can take time. And so you look at like a problem like that and say, okay, if somebody just completely ignores this and doesn't take care of it, you know, it's one kind of a bad experience while the resident's there. It's not great for the neighbors, the community, but then two, you know, somebody's stuck holding the bag and it was kind of a more expensive problem at the end. And so you say, okay, well, how do you really solve that? And I think, you know, that's where you kind of hit those pieces of transparency, accountability, and choice. Mm-hmm. So on the transparency side, it's here's what the responsibility looks like. You know, here's a clear definition of what a maintained lawn looks like. And then on the choice side, it's saying, okay, here's, you know, different ways you can solve this problem, right? Um, you know, you can do this yourself, right? It's in that scenario, um, here's what's going to cost to actually maintain a lawn. And it's not free. You have to buy material, you know, you have to do it. It's going to take time. So what's that look like? Um, what's the the regularity of that, you know? And then on the other side, it's okay. Hey, here's an option to have it done for you, you know. And and, and maybe there's you know different tiers of that. Tier one is this is going to meet the least responsibility. We're going to make sure you know the grass is mowed, edges are trimmed. That's it, right? You don't get to go outside and uh, you know talk to the the landscaper and say, hey, you know, I want a rose there. Like 
no conversation. It's just it's done, right? Mm-hmm. This is like when you're in a commercial building and they just take care of the property. And then on you know the higher tier, it's hey, we've got you a boutique landscaper. They're gonna come out, you know, they're gonna touch everything up, and you get to work with them if you want to do anything, right? And so like right there, I think if you look at that, you know, on the one side, it's you've you've given transparency choice, but you've also created accountability. And, and the way that you do that is through clear expectations of hey, if you don't do this you may be required to do this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, ultimately then, you know, the property manager is protecting everyone's interests, the investor, the owner, and the resident. And in the event that somebody maybe chooses that premium option, you know, they, they can get referral fees or things like that and generate revenue. So I think you see this, you know, dynamic there where everybody's winning and there's revenue driven, where if you look at, you know, any industry, obviously that's what you see, you know, people are willing to pay for value, for convenience, mm. you know, and so it's how do you take a property manager who, you know, has that access to customers, has a lot of important things they need to get done, and how do you get them in that value equation, able to monetize it and add value, you know, convenience to others. So I think, you know, I could give dozens of other examples of different areas, um, you know, but that's that's an area where I think, you know, that's a simple example where I think, to, to answer your question around where does this go in the industry, and I think it's, you know, get, whether it's good or bad, I think it's gonna happen, and, and I think there's, you know, easy ways mm-hmm. to, <clears throat> kind of work that win for everybody now what you're saying both makes sense to me as a a value-add offering it also feels like an adjacency to regulation directly on it are there people in the state legislature that want to make sure that you don't have the option to have a great yard probably not it's more like things that are more intrinsically baked into housing so that that doesn't quite seem like what's more likely to get targeted yeah it would be more stuff that is required and mandated. And this is one of the things I want to ask you yeah. about is I hear the POV coming from you that's very much about choice, optionality, accountability. It really just sounds like a net positive, dare I call it a triple win, if you will. And my thought here is that the thing that is more likely to get targeted is a byproduct of a desire on behalf of some small businesses that really isn't about those things. It's, yeah. it's just revenue. I just yeah. want to get the revenue. I don't want choice. I want to mandate. I want to make this a fundamental net increase to what tenants are paying. Yeah. I know that you interact with a subset of customers that are really all in on resident experience and a subset yeah. of customers that that's really not a priority. It's just it's a, it's a, a, um, a revenue draw. And when I interact with that, I think two things. I think first off, if you are a true professional property manager providing real value, where this tenant is net dramatically better off renting from you than renting directly from an owner. A, you've built margin into the value that you're creating, and if you choose to monetize and capture some of that via um, a resident benefits package, that seems totally commensurate to value. Yeah. If you're not doing a good job, if you're a class C property manager and the service sucks and yeah. you're adding this on and it's mandated and there's no choice in it, that's a lot more friction in that process. How do you think about um, the POV that you articulated kind of intersecting with the intention of the operator that's actually rolling it out? Yeah, so, so there's a couple pieces to look at there. Um, so I think if you look at the... So, so I'll talk about a business problem first, and then can talk a little bit more about, um, you know, I think how it relates to um, the regulatory side and the property managers and how, how they offer these. So the, the business problem I see today is for a property manager, a lot of things around communication to resident and 
you know, getting your lease signed is a fairly manual process. I mean, you have a leasing agent who's, you know, I mean, you've got self showings now, you've got some, a lot of tech again that like 10 years ago didn't, what didn't exist or wasn't at scale at all. So you've got, you've really started to see this, these gaps close, but, but one key piece right now is if, you know, g- going back to the lawn example and, um, you know, I know you mentioned, hey, no one wants someone not to mow lawn. That sounds great. And I think you're right. And the point would be, well, what if someone said, hey, as part of this property, you get this lawn service, no choice, right? Then I think you'd see some pushback. Yeah, right? you have to have a world-class right, right. lawn. Right, right. So I, I probably jumped ahead there saying, you know, hey, everyone just uses lawn service of, you know, 20% of residents are great, 80% aren't, I've had enough, everybody's doing it, right? Mm-hmm. And you may see that in some certain property types. Maybe it makes sense in certain property types uh, or, or certain markets, but... Um, largely speaking, I would expect you get some pushback. Again, right or wrong, you know, mm-hmm. uh, up to up to the individual, but you, you'll definitely have some people push back if you do that. And so I think if you look at, you know, the the challenge though, it's all right. Well, I, I want to make this a service. I'm, I'm adding value offering this product for a specific property manager. If they have a leasing agent, which you know, oftentimes this is a commission based role. You know, it's it's. Um, you know, something that they're, they're doing a lot of different things, trying to manage a lot of moving parts to then expect, okay, they're also going to get trained really well across, you know, dozens of different offerings and really be able to educate residents, have a conversation. And also when like, you know, there's, there's good revenue to generate, but it's not, you know, it's not going to be material to a leasing agent, right? So mm-hmm. you kind of look at that and say, mm-hmm. okay, you can't really offer anything boutique through a leasing agent. So that's where you kind of get to the scenario where people go, okay, I want to offer these value add services you know, either do them in buckets, different, you know, types of properties, you know, they, they kind of have to bulk dispatch mm-hmm. them, so to speak. And I think that's one of the challenges you see with, you know, so, some residents may say, hey, I'd like to do this differently. And, um, you know, that, that's where that kind of friction comes in is I think it's an operational issue. Mm-hmm. Now, to your point, there's definitely, you know, folks say, hey, I'm just gonna, you know, add in all these different things, mandatory, trying to drive revenue. Um, and then, you know, the if you look at the regulatory side, Really, the main thing they're looking for is transparency, right? I mean, you can offer products and services for sale anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, how do you make it transparent? So, you know, is this something where, you know, somebody comes in, they go to the listing, they look at it, like, hey, this looks great. And then, you know, they pay an application fee, you know, some different moving expenses. And at the last mile, it's like, hey, you know. By the way. Yeah. Like, I've already made a moving commitment. I stopped looking at other properties. But, you know, by the way, you have to do this, right? And so I think that's where it's all about, you know, offering something, you know, upfront and transparently, um, if it's going to be mandatory. And then, you know, if it's, if it's optional, you know, really at any point, um, you know, presenting that. And so, you know, if I look back to at least, you know, what we do in the industry, you know, our, our, you know, only practice really has ever been, Hey, this goes into the listing, right? In the listing, here's the value add things you get, right? And there's obviously, you know, benefits to, to walking through, here's what you get renting. You know, there's Mm -hmm. huge impacts. If I look at, you know, different programs, you know, something, and again, it depends on the asset type, but if you look at, you know, you mentioned some classy assets, you know, one of the products we offer is a credit reporting product, right? And so that, that can be a material benefit, you know, it's people's biggest, biggest expense. Um, and usually your rent is not reported uh, to the credit bureaus, you know, but if it is, you know, there's been studies um, that show, you know, 40, 50 point increases in that first uh, year of renting. And, you know, as you know, that can, you could, actually qualify for mortgage or certain loans if you're getting one even if you already qualified you're probably saving at minimum tens of thousands of dollars in a lot of cases over a hundred thousand dollars over the life of that loan you know going from you know a very high interest rate down to kind of lower the the market rate and so 
you know, there's certain benefits like that where people see it and go, wow, like that's life changing. You know, I'd like to get take advantage of that. And so, again, I think it's best for all parties to show, okay, hey, here's the value that goes into the listing and yet it's transparently there. Um, you know, there's obviously going to be your folks who may not say, hey, I didn't see that and read it. You know, that kind of stuff happens. So that's where, again, I think about like, you know, offering choice in your resident experience is, you know, does provide that best experience uh, mm -hmm. to residents. And, um, you know, that's something we've been working hard on. You know, a lot of these things take time, but, you know, we've kind of built this resident experience configurator where, um, you know, the resident can go in and they can see, you know, and the way I like to describe it is a single asset, you know, all these are typically one-on-one if they're single family, you know, they're, they're very spread out. So you don't get that same scale you would get, you know, at a large multifamily property. And so if you think about, you know, the service experience for designing, you know, they're generally available nationally, um, you know, different properties, but a resident can go in and get the economy experience, you know, or the four seasons experience, right? So um, they can go through and see, okay, you know, maybe I'm moving here for a year and it's like, you know, I want to move in, everything's set up, you know, my utilities on, I want the lawn mode, I don't want to buy a lawnmower, you know, mm -hmm. coming here for mm -hmm. a job assignment for a year and like, Heck, you know, I might even want, uh, you know, a base set of like living room and bedroom furniture set up. And I just turn key and move in. I'm here a year or two. I get out. And again, you might have someone moving in who says, hey, I want to do everything, you know, uh, you know, budget conscious and things like that. But ultimately, you know, you've kind of designed this closed loop system to say, OK, here's your responsibilities as each party. You know, here's what you need to pay for to maintain a property. Here's things that you can choose. But ultimately, if you don't do your responsibility, you may be required to do it this way. But that's all clearly laid out in an easy to digest, easy to read manner. So it's not, you know, section 37 of a, you know, 20 page lease. You know, it's nice, easy UX, modern UX on a phone. You can just kind of click through your computer and, and see what that looks like. So that's really the, the main thing we've been working on to really, you know, as we look at the next 10 years, how do we, you know, expand offering a lot of, you know, some things it's, there's so many things that aren't practical to maybe offer to a wide base, but there's definitely certain things, you know, again, like on the credit side, you know, the maintenance sides, like with air filters or pests, where it's like, hey, 100% of people need to do this. You know, here's a convenient way to do this. So I think you'll still see, a, you know, d depending on the offering, certain things I think will be, you know, provided the whole, whole portfolio. Just, hey, this is part of renting. You get this, um, you know, mm -hmm. and other things will be optional. But this tool kind of allows both the education and the, the choice side. And then, you know, the business process and the rules is where you really where you get that accountability. This is really interesting to me. And for those that are listening and it's not clear, you were talking about some technology innovation that you guys are offering, and it speaks to the unique aspect of offering services in residential property management. In my mind, in an Airbnb world, this would be a it, it would just be the UX. In long-term property management, it all has to go through the lease. And so it's a much more uh, in many cases, a lot of the friction is just like, I mean, how many times have you heard this? I'm not in your business and I've heard this a million times. They're like, well, I was going to roll it out, but then I got to wait for the contracts to turn over and the 12 yep. months, blah, blah, blah. And the reality is that the juice is worth the squeeze, but there is some squeeze involved. You're yep. talking about lowering the bar to actually get this done, to roll it out. You've got my interest. We've talked about this before. One obvious thing that comes to mind is making changes intra-period. If six months into a lease, I changed my mind. I want to turn something on that yep. wasn't on. That kind of flexibility and dynamicism hasn't really existed. It's typically felt pretty heavy. And who wants to be modifying a lease manually halfway through a exactly. tenancy? Walk me through how, walk me through how dynamic this, you're hoping this yeah. will be. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it. It's um, the idea is, yeah, and here's your responsibilities, you know, and, and this is something that just hasn't existed, right? You typically, once your application is approved, there's some series of communication to, you know, make sure you want to move in. And then, you know, your lease is usually generated, right? And um, uh, as a document sign, right? And so you get that, you read through it, you know, you ultimately sign, you know, maybe there's a few check boxes in there. And so this actually kind of sits between there and says, okay, resident come through, configure their exact services, and then that gets passed over to the document, gener you know, the lease generation. Uh, so it can be generated with all the things, you know, that they want to offer, you know, uh, loaded into that. And if you look at, you know, flexibility, I would say the, that's kind of the core idea here is, I, you know, I could live somewhere two years, my life changes, something happens, and, you know, I want to add something, I want to remove part of that experience. And it's easy to hop right back in and say, okay, unilaterally, I can just make an edit here. Um, it updates, um, you know, the agreement between the customer and, you know, we move on. Obviously, some things, again, you know, you can't go in and change your rent. <laughs> but, you know, you might be able to go in and turn on or off your, uh, you know, lawn service. So. Yeah, the idea of flexibility here is somewhat groundbreaking to me. In my sensibilities, being in the software game, the UX feels like the lower left, right? There's probably a number of people could fill out the UX, but figuring out the UX in the context of working with legal contracts, that's interesting. And that I think is probably a paradigm that a lot of people are going to want to um, port into and build off of. And you've obviously brought a number of different offerings into the fold. When you think about vendors that you're going to partner with, and this is one of the things that's really interesting to me about you is that I see you and some of your staff, I talk to people like Smallwood, et cetera. You guys are looking at so many different potential partnerships. Walk me through the mental model that you apply about what's a fit and what's not. Because I see you're applying a fair bit of discrimination, even though from the outset it may look like you guys are doing a lot. It's got to be 10 to 1 of stuff that you're passing on versus things that you're entertaining. Yeah, so yeah, if, if we're looking at the way we're thinking about this, so, so one, you, you nailed it earlier, like, you know, creating a UX, pretty straightforward. How do you do it that works with all the different markets, all the different compliance pieces? Mm. And, and that's really kind of one of the main values is, you know, if you're in even multiple counties, sometimes you have, you have some variation. So it's, you know, kind of that compliance at scale. Um, and the piece we look at on, on the service side, given you have properties that are, you know, again, spread across the US, and the asset types, um, you know, may vary slightly, it's really thinking through, okay, what's, what's a solution that can add value to a large enough percent of the base? Also, if you look at a lot of products in the, um, you know, in the industry, you've seen vendors come in from outside and say, hey, I sell X, and, you know, you should buy it. And someone goes, wow, like, that's really cool. It doesn't perfectly fit though. Could you do this differently maybe on the invoicing side? Could you fulfill the service, you know, with some slight tweaks? And what you see is, you know, a, a provider who says, hey, I offer this solution. You know, we, we can use a simple example, like pest control is something we listen, recently partnered with Pest Share and Launch. You know, pest control vendor goes, hey, I'd love to offer pest control. Property managers go, hey, I'd love to buy it. Well, how do you buy it? Uh, you go to this web link and sign up with a credit card. You know, and then we, uh, we're gonna call you and schedule. Well, if I have 300 properties, that doesn't really work mm. well. And maybe they go, okay, you can send us a CSV and we'll upload it. But, you know, you know, it's, that's the kind of, you know, friction, obviously, for that, that pest control company. It's like, well, it doesn't make sense to build a whole process for a couple mm. local property managers. But then you look at, you know, a 
solution like, you know, um, on-demand pest control. It says, okay, you know, we've designed this to work for the problems set to a resident or investor, right? This is really the, how do you solve a problem in the most economically efficient way? You know, if you look at, you know, pest control, getting someone to come out quarterly and spray, you know, is, is really kind of a luxury service. And again, I say luxury lightly, you know, there's a lot of people who may disagree, go, wow, I hate bucks, right? But, you know, it's, um, it's not the most cost-effective way, right? Once you see a problem having someone come out to solve it, you know, that's that, um, you know, specifically, you know, for that industry, um, you know, it's a lower cost method. Um, and for something like, you know, the on-demand pest control, the idea is, okay, you know, there's a certain resident responsibilities, there's certain investor responsibilities, neither people budget for it. If you don't budget for it, you know, then you're only going to get upset. There's going to be fighting over whose responsibility. So how do you say, okay, hey, this is actually a solved problem. You know, you have me manage your property, you rent from me. This is taken care of. You don't have to think about it. It's budgeted for. By the way, when you have an issue, you know, just um, go in here, say your issue. There's, you know, no deduction. There's no hoops to jump through. We just come out and solve the problem, right? It's a really elegant experience and it removes that highly emotional event, right? So something that we're commonly looking at is property management is a very reactive game. You're constantly getting bombarded with problems. No one reaches out if they don't have a problem. And so if you work in this business, if you work in this business, you talk to the people, you know, and, and um, the space, you hear it's just a very exhausting business. You can't get a vacation. You know, problems happen always at the worst hour. And so, you know, what we're looking at is, okay, what are all those unique problems? And how do we bring a tailored solution to this industry that removes those highly emotional events? You know, so in certain cases, you know, with like filters, it's okay. This is a problem where if you don't change it, it's actually much more expensive. How do we have a preventative solution? You know, for pest control, it's unbudgeted for, and nobody agrees. I lived there for four years. I move, I hire you to rent it. Six months later, there's cockroaches. Again, whose fault is that? You know, who knows? But it's not budgeted for. And that's, you know, now the PM on Friday night is, you know, playing middleman and trying to calm people down. And ultimately, one person is going to leave really pissed off. The other is going to be mad that they were even considered at fault, right? So you have a lose-lose situation. And so, you know, to, to get back to your question on, like, how do we, the mental model, I think it's, one, you know, how do we, what's a highly emotional event? How do we solve that? Hmm. Two, it's how do we bring, you know, a partner that we can work with that says, hey, we're willing to think differently or do some things differently, right? And so every partner we've worked with um, to date, you know, it hasn't just been a plug and play. It's we have worked together and say, okay, regulatory compliance, you know, I think about with, you know, the pest thing we worked, did a study with them and found, okay, there's different states that handle things differently. Bed bugs here, you know, this market here, the, you know, so there we do that work, you know, how are we doing the billing? How are we doing, you know, making sure this aligns with the value. Um, and so like, that's, that's really it. So I think if you say, okay, Hey, 10 to one, maybe, you know, nine of those are really interesting solutions. They may or may not be at scale yet. Um, it may not be, you know, uh, there may not be that willingness to really work on a tailored solution or that resource available to do that. So that's kind of the mental model. And then for us, it's, you know, our, our whole thing is, you know, with, with our, um, you know, property managers we work with say like, um, hey, work with whoever you want, right? We want to help you design a good system. And we want to bring you, you know, when we bring something forward, we want to make sure it's, you know, vetted, really, um, you know, designed well, and we think it's going to solve your business problem. And so ultimately, you know, I, I wouldn't say we're, we're of the objective to get as many things as possible, although we hope more and more stuff comes in the industry. But as we can design a good solution, you know, we'll bring it in. But, you know, we have a ton of folks we work with who are doing a lot of things on the resident experience side that our team will even help them with. 
you know, um, in many cases, we've even kind of rolled into our program and help administer that, you know, we're not filling service or, you know, really involved in the economic side of it, other than, you know, providing a, helping to kind of provide that resident experience to RPM. So your the attention that you're paying to vendors is a derivative of the attention that you're paying to use cases, practical, specific problems that the tenant, the owner, the property manager is having. You're attentive. You're, you're deep in those use cases, which I really appreciate. And so one of the things that I know is that you're also paying attention to the power dynamics between different vendors, data pieces, et cetera. I'm curious to get your take on how you see the landscape evolving, specifically with the property accounting software vendors. I see power shifting in that ecosystem. The ecosystem historically has been closed. Um, in some cases, you could describe it as a, a, a pretty hardcore walled garden. And even now, as it's opening, in many cases, it's opening under a very specific controlled set of circumstances, as opposed to a more of a free market, plug and play, let the data flow and the chips fall where they may. I see that this openness is shifting some of the power away from the property management accounting software vendors as having like a singular choke point on things. And not only are there more vendors in this space, but there's way more collaboration happening, et cetera. Are you seeing the same things, the same thing observationally? And if so, what do you think it means in terms of like the, the net outcome for property managers? Yeah, yeah. So one, definitely seeing the same thing, right? I think if you look at the, you know, if you look at the industry, you're definitely seeing a lot of new software uh, players in the accounting space, they're coming online and, you know, fully open, kind of a modern tech stack. Um, you know, some of these have the advantage of, you know, they started building in the last five, 10 years, you know, and, you know, so for some companies that are 30, 40 years old, right, there's, there's definitely, you know, some, some different technical things to think through. You've got a ton of legacy customers, different versions you're trying to manage. So, but I think, you know, what you're seeing for, you know, the, the modern um, kind of stacks is, you know, that, that's kind of what they're doing. That, that's the world of tech today. Everything's open. You know, ultimately, if you look at a property manager, right, these are their, this is their data. These are their customers, right? They're investors and residents. That's, that's their data. And so I think, I think it's just one of those things we talked about earlier of like, you know, what looks, what seems obvious and you're kind of surprised it didn't exist. You know, I think five, 10 years from now, you'll look back and be like, you know, you didn't used to have integrations and in it, you know, that was not, mm -hmm. you know, look, look at everything we're doing to run a great business. Look at how it's actually impacted the industry. Mm -hmm. Look how this is a better experience for everyone. Um, you know, integrations, lower costs and, you know, they generally reduce um, uninteresting kind of work, right? So you think about the amount of work people do to kind of fulfill things today, and you know people provide plenty, plenty of uh, offerings, um, but you know there's usually extra effort. There's there's errors and data discrepancies and things like that. And so ultimately, I think everyone look around and be like, hey, this is just a better product for you know the entire industry. You know and that's the kind of stuff that eventually allows you to grow the TAM and get more people involved. And so like overall, I think you know it's something that seems obvious will happen. Um, if I look at, you know, the, the impact, you know, there, there's, there's definitely some folks that, you know, that industry specific products, you know, that they're going to work through all the effort to make something work with a property manager. But if you look at, you know, other industries, you know, there's a ton of products and services or offerings, um, out there where someone might say, Hey, this would be really cool for a small percentage. And it, you know, if there was, you know, a clean, you know, data structure for the entire industry, you know, I could plug into, um, you know, you know, almost like, uh, you know, I, I know there's different companies out there now, like Propify and some others saying, hey, of one integration deploy over, right? If someone could plug into that and say, okay, you know, I have an engineer work on this, it's 
easy integration. You know, I think about Stripe, right? When we first set up Stripe, you know, back in the day for our, our consumer website, I think somebody did that in, you know, half a day. I mean, obviously, if you're doing this at scale, you might need to button up more, but it was pretty straightforward, you know. And so I think if you get to a point where, hack the plug in, I need to access a certain part of a system, mm-hmm. I want to provide the service, mm-hmm. this is a quick project, you'll start to see a lot more innovation that people didn't even think about start to flood into the space. Um, you know, but most importantly, I think, you know, what you'll see is um, the whole ecosystem kind of working together, you know, getting to a standardized kind of structured data set. Um, you know, it's going to lower costs. It's going to provide better offer. Like, that's just, you know, what you see. Um, and, and it's it's somewhat of a necessity to, to keep up. So, Competition, the free market, is fundamentally good for consumers. That's one of my core bedrock beliefs, and we see that playing out here. I think Rentvine, for example, is an interesting use case as a vendor. Less so the company, you know, shout out to those guys, great people, but more archetypally, you think about Clayton Christensen, uh, Innovator's Dilemma, when the basic premise there is that as legacy companies get bigger and bigger and bigger, eventually someone realizes that in many instances they are over-serving a subset of their consumers. The legacy vendor is offering so much stuff that really customers would be happy with 30% of that product offering. And someone else comes along to offer that 30% at a lower cost with more flexibility, et cetera. And that's where new innovation kind of competes away and chips away at legacy vendors. I'm really glad to see vendors like Rentvine, there's there's Doorloop, there's a couple of others that aren't even coming to mind right now. It's shaking things up. And it's putting pressure on large incumbents to make some needed changes that are really a net positive for the industry. So I remain optimistic and bullish around what's possible for this industry. I want to end today's interview talking a little bit about stress, working stress in the business. I'm coming off of, let's say, over the last six to eight weeks, I've been feeling a lot of stress. Then i just tell you, man, I've been under it. I've been in it. I've been getting my ass kicked a bit. And... um, I want to ask you about it because I want to hear how you process stress. It's it's inevitable. I heard somebody say that pain is inevitable. Suffering is a choice. Suffering is an orientation mm. about how you relate and what you make up to about what you're experiencing. For me, I am committed to interpreting my stress as being a function of how I'm holding the events and my relationship with it rather than externalizing, which is to say, well, I'm upset and I feel this way because these things happen. And when these things happen, I have to feel upset. I don't, I don't like that belief system. That doesn't really serve me. It creates more stress and I want to be in a place of low stress, not high stress. I can't do this for another five, 10, 20 years if I'm gritting. Walk me through what sources of stress look like for you and how you stay resilient in the game instead of just, I mean, I know you haven't gripped for 10 years. It's not possible. How, how do you yeah. navigate that? Hmm. That's, that's a good question. Uh, yeah. When first acknowledging, like, you know, if, if you're building a business of any sort, um, you're going to have stress, things are going to pop up. I think back to, there's this, uh, song, I think it was like a fake commencement speech or something called like uh, sunscreen. And one of the lines I like, it was like the biggest worries in your life will hit you on an idle Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> that you didn't expect, you know, it's not the things you're thinking about. It's just, you know, and, um, you know, something I've realized is like every day you're going to have, you know, for me at least, um, in what we're doing, it's like, there's probably a dozen things that Mm -hmm. pop up that are not like, oh, this is great news, right? They're, Hey, it's a problem we need to solve. Not, not always bad news, but just, Hey, something's not working. We need to solve it. And something I found that's funny. We were talking about that kickball example, uh, right before we, we started this, 
the whatever is the worst that day, I generally get equally stressed and bothered and upset by that. So, you know, something that could be, you know, objectively on a one to 10 scale, a 10 problem will get me nearly as upset as something that is a three. If that day, the three is the biggest thing. Now, I'm not saying there's not edge cases, but like I've kind of noticed, um, you know, like the, the simplest thing, like a neighbor, you know, says something weird to you and you're just like, it just makes you so angry. And then like you walk inside and like, you know, some major problem happens. You're like, now I'm angry at this. And then like, you know, it's, you Same know. level of volume, even though the significance of it varies. Yeah, yeah, you're taking the trash out and the bag breaks and you're just like, you know, I, you know, again, mm-hmm. not everything's on the same scale, but it's kind of like there's this, there's this inherent cap of like, you know, I'm just angry and, 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 and stressed. And so, you know, I think to, for myself, at least, I often kind of look at stuff and I go, okay, what can I do about this, right? Like, and I've gotten much better at this over the years, but there, there might be an example of something that bothered me. And like two hours later, I'm still thinking about it. And I'm like, okay, you know, how do I, what can I do to solve this? I don't want to feel this way. Stress is not good. You know, there's a lot of scientific data that's mm-hmm. not good for you. So it's like, okay, here's the action I can take. You know, I'll mentally map out, okay, I'm going to do these things. Here's going to be the potential outcomes. It's going to take this long. And until I get to these next milestone points, like nothing's really going to change, right? So maybe there's an issue with, you know, employer or customer and, okay, tough decisions made, made, send it, you know, okay. Once we, you know, until I hear back, you know, you know, I I need to move on. And so, um, you know, I think about this, you know, to me, if I like put an analogy to something very simple, like going to the gym, right? If you... If you're a runner, right, and you try and run a four-minute mile or whatever the you know these marathoners run for twenty-plus miles, it's crazy. You can't do it, right? It's you're exhausted. But you know, if you practice for years and years, you get really good. And so, to me, just like trying to run a four-minute mile, it's the same as trying to manage stress, right? If every time something hits you that's stressful, if you say, "Okay, this is an exercise. How do I get better at doing this? How do I create a process to organize, compartmentalize the information, and operate on it?" You know, I think every time you incrementally get better. And I found, you know, for myself now, you know, all those little small things that happen in life, a lot of them I can get over like this. I'm just like, okay, it's not a big deal. You know, I'm, I'm going to move on. Um, and then, you know, when, when, and that saves the energy, I think, for the more important things. So, you know, ultimately, like, you're not going to avoid it. It's going to happen. And in my experience, again, it's been like, you know, and I'm not saying there's not days that are, you know, pr- pretty carefree and, you know, th- mm-hmm. things can vary, right? Uh, you know, every once in a while you might catch Saturday and, you know, for a PM, you know, a resident doesn't put a ticket in, doesn't call in, you know, nothing burns that, right? So, you know, you may catch that day, but like generally speaking on a work day, you're going to, you're going to interact with stuff that doesn't go your way. And, you know, you got to just, I think, take a step back. You know, I, I think the pessimistic thing would be like, oh, you're, you know, justifying something. But I, in many ways, I think that can be good for people's mental health is, okay, how do I, how do I explain this as rational to myself? How do I get comfortable and, you know, what's my next step and then act on it. Mm. I think of stress as wanting things to be different than they are. Mm. I like that. Like resisting, you know, this is what's happening and I can't accept it. I can't come to terms with it. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I think a lot about the way I'm running the company and what I'm focused on, what's most meaningful to me and how I get meaning out of the business as being a function of stripping back the specific context of running a software company, being in residential property management, workflow automation, that stuff has meaning to me. It's my bread and butter. I'm committed to deeply understanding it and adding value there. 
But if I strip that back, what's left and what's left, I find the most meaning in. The way I'm running my organization is the same way that I would hope and aspire to run a nonprofit, yeah. church, school, whatever. And when I focus on that stuff, it gives me a lot more connection to my people. Our mission as a company is to help people become and achieve more than they thought possible. That's the thing that gives me the most meaning and connection. And beyond that, like my leadership, I want to be like open-handed, not gripping, open-hearted, deeply connecting with the people that I'm around. What do you want to be? What are you trying to do running this organization and being with these people that fundamentally transcends the specifics of RBP, property management, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah. So one follow-up real quick, and then I'll jump into that. You said something that, um, you know, the way you position that really made me think of when something stressful happens, you can look at it and say, this is actually good for me. You know, it's that it's your, if you didn't have that, would we accomplish anything? You know, how you hold it, your perspective. Yeah, that is, that is what drives people. Mm -hmm. And so I actually think, you know, I think it's something like lean in and own it. It's like, this is like, this is good. Um, you know, but, but no, 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 we've got to wrap here, jumping to your, your question. So very high level, something like, you know, I passionately believe, um, I'd almost say like, I think this is objective, but you know, some people might debate it is technological process or innovation does not happen on its own, right? Like p- things just don't organize themselves to advance technology. Uh, it's actually, you know, I think the opposite, right? And so it takes a lot of effort. Um, and when I say technology, I don't mean, you know, things that may be common with tech, but like look at uh, healthcare, medicine, like any innovation, right? And so, you know, to me, it's, if you look at um, you know the world we live in, everything you know that that we interact with, uh, you know, and we've been talking about property management a lot. I see so many things. I know you know the entrepreneurs who've built these companies. Like I know they've like been beaten up for years. You know they spent two or three years building something. Spent another two or three years trying to convince people to use it to maybe get it to work right. And so, but then you know everybody gets to benefit from that. And so to me, it's like I just have this belief that you know if we can build some really cool stuff get it out to a lot of people. It can make, you know, uh, all the people we work with, you know, impact their lives. You know, how do you develop people? Um, you know, the amount of people that have come into our organization and I've seen move on to do great things. Like, you know, we have people leave our organization to me. I'm like, you know, I'll celebrate it. You know, if they're going somewhere, that's a better opportunity for them. You know, that's exciting, right? So I love the people side, seeing people grow and develop, you know, or if they, you know, we've had many people working this a long time that, you know, I've built some of my best and closest relationships and just, you know, to me, it's like, the, some of the funnest things I do is some work with our team members, right? It may, it's, yeah, there are moments that are funner than snowboarding, right? Like if, if you're really working mm, a cool problem. So mm, I think mm, it's personally mm. fulfilling. I love the people side. And then I look at the actual products we're building for the industry. And it's like, at the end of the day, we're, we're looking at an industry that, you know, call it, you know, I've seen different data, but, you know, let's say half, half of the, the market says, hey, I can do this on my own, right? And I think there's a lot of things, you know, you'll never be able to offer on your own as a, um, you know, provider, but you know, that's the belief. So how do we, you know, transform an industry and say, Hey, we, we can, we've clarified our business model and our value prop to where we can acquire and, and, and attract more people, you know? So I think, you know, the, the impact that we can have to the property manager is fundamentally changing their business model, making it more attractive to other parties. And then I think to the resident again, like, you know, I imagine in 10, 20 years, you're gonna have this resident experience where like, just makes sense. Like, yeah, I can go in, I can, you know, select all these different things. I can, Taylor, I can customize my resident experience. 
it's really convenient, it's effortless. A lot of those hot, you know, those friction points are gone. Like we just talked about stress, you know, again, like, you know, you, you have to layer things up, but you know, we were talking about pest control here. All right, for every single resin, if you're assuming there's a few of these interactions over a lease cycle, it's like, we just remove those three stress points, you know. We got a lot more work to do, but you know, how do we do a hundred of those, 200 of those? And you fundamentally, you know, improves people's lives. So, um, you know, not, not to, not to ramble there, but like, I would say like, those are the different aspects. And like, to me, it's like, you got to show up and do the work and move things along. And I think it's so easy for people to always have a farming mentality and say like, Hey, how do we just, you know, farm and really, uh, use what we built. And with that mentality, I think you'll start to, th- you know, things don't, you know, progress themselves. Right. So like, that's what I passionately believe. And, you know, part of what gets me up every day is just, um, move things along. So it's fascinating to me how much permission you've given yourself and your staff to enjoy the process. It's very interesting to me. I see, and I think people just in general see the vibe and like the sense that you guys are having a good time. And I think some people interpret it as like a sales and marketing strategy. I experience it as an extension of your values. And I don't know what it looks like explicitly stated inside the organization, but I see that your belief system says that there can be a deep integration and maybe a inextricable link between enjoying the work and serving the customer. And I feel the same way. For me, it is the belief that the care for our people and high performance cannot be deconstructed. Maybe somebody can show me how they can. I'm not really interested in that perspective. I choose to link them and I've seen so much evidence that when you link a deep care for your for your team and a real focus on objective performance, not one or the other. I find that the ship tips when you pick one. You just pick performance at the expense of the people, put them into a meat grinder, performance suffers. You mm-hmm. just focus on care for the people. You kind of make this feel like it's a 501c3 nonprofit. Performance goes right out the window. When the two are linked, that's where the magic happens. And that has to be an expression of values. So I see you as one of those guys that is expressing your values and you're painting on on that canvas. And I think it's cool, man. I'm glad you're doing awesome. it. Well, I appreciate having well, you here. Thank you. And likewise, no, I obviously love what you guys are doing. And, uh, you know, and I actually think back to like when I first walked in the door, you know, you were one of the people that stood out. And, uh, you know, it's it's been enjoyable watching, you know, what, what you've done in the industry with you know, in, in multiple different areas too. So, so, uh, yeah, thanks for, uh, having me on and, uh, excited for the next, uh, next decade, next decade. That, that was the, that was the conversation. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, absolutely. So here we go until next time. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Peace. That's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. You can check out other episodes along the way. If you're watching this on YouTube, appreciate to subscribe, any comments, I'm always here to engage. If you're listening on an audio platform, would really appreciate a review. It's a great way to help other people find out about the show.